Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Let me ask you a question. If I could show you a path that would lead to riches, honor, and long life, would you be willing to try it? Okay, two of you said yes. The rest of you, what are you, what are you after? <laughs> okay, let me, let me try it again. If, if you could be shown a path guaranteed to lead to riches, to lead to honor, and to give you a long life, would you be willing to walk the path? Yeah. Okay, that's better. That's good, because I'd like you to turn with me to Proverbs 22. A suggestion, I've done this in the past. Proverbs was written by Solomon to impart wisdom. And there's 31 of them. So if you read one a day, it's like a vitamin spiritually. It'd be really, uh, it'd be good. Imparted wisdom, right? Okay, Proverbs 22. And let's look down at verse 4. Proverbs 22.4. Let me, let me read the, I have a parallel Bible here. King James, which is the word-for-word translation. 1600s, it was King James put together so that all people could experience that in writing. And it is word-for-word translation. The living translation, the new living translation is the thought for thought. And I, I like to look at the actual word. I like to look at the thought behind it. So let's look at New Living Translation, verse 4. True humility and fear of the Lord leads to riches, honor, and long life. True humility, which means there's false humility. True humility and the fear of the Lord leads to the path to riches, to honor, and to living long. Let's turn back one page to Proverbs 21. In verse 21. Proverbs 21, 21. Whoever, 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 that means you, me, anybody, whoever pursues, goes after, runs to, seeks for righteousness and unfailing love, will find life, righteousness, and honor. Now, I know this is from the Lord because yesterday I was, before the Lord, I was preparing, I was looking up some scriptures and I was settled in on these two, on Proverbs 21, 21. And Ron Bircham, our one of our men's leaders, he sends out a daily text and on it is a scripture. Guess what popped up? I mean, I'm sitting there looking at it, and it pops up randomly, and it's Proverbs 22, verse 4. And I was just looking at 21, 21, and I'm like, okay. So I texted Ron back. I said, well, I ju- I'm just reading that. And 
Tozer had some interesting thoughts about it. But Monday, maybe it was Tuesday, I was thinking about this whole righteousness, humility, and obedience. And so what could I share with your people, Lord? What, what would you share with me that would lead us to this place of honor and long life and riches? And the definition there is not just wealth. When you think of a person, when you say that person has a rich life, riches are relationships. It's the love of God. It's peace in your heart. I remember... Um, Richard Dreyfus was recently on Fox News, and I don't agree with a lot of his political stuff, but I remember uh, an interview that he did with Barbara Walters after he was getting his Emmy. Some of you know Richard Dreyfus, right? Uh, Holland's Opus, he's done a lot of great, he's a great actor. And uh, they, so he's sitting in his multi-million dollar mansion. Barbara Walters was doing the interview, and uh, he does, you know, now that you've got your Emmy, you're at the top of your game, blah, 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 blah. And it was all this, you know, excitement about what he had done and his accomplishments. And she said, well, Richard, last thing I want to ask you, since you have everything, if you could have one thing, what would it be? And he looked in the camera and this stark look, he says, if I could just find peace, if I could just find peace. So riches is a whole lot more than just I got money to spend. It's, in fact, it's probably one of the least on the list. It helps, but it doesn't it doesn't lead, how many, how many rich folks are not happy and have no peace, right? So when we look at this, the title of the sermon today is Righteousness, Humility, and Obedience. Let's unpack this. I, uh, first, in that top paragraph, it says, we can learn many amazing life lessons from our study of Scripture. And if we align those to godly principles... We can tap into blessings, and we can stay out of the ditches. You agree with that? In fact, Deuteronomy 30 says, you know, I put before you life and death. Oh, that you would choose life and live, that you and your descendants would live. So he says, all heaven will now witness the choices you make, right? And so it's if we choose. Now, I listed there 2 Timothy 3.16, which is all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? It's good to correct us, lead us, teach us. If the man or woman of God will pattern their life out of 2 Timothy 3.16, if you'll study this and more than just study it, you'll do it. <laughs> um, that's that part of obedience, right? But we need to know what it is first. So, and then Proverbs says, why don't you turn, since you're in Proverbs, turn to First Proverbs, the first one. In Proverbs chapter 1, and in verse 1, Solomon tells us, David's son, why he wrote these. In fact, if you read Ecclesiastes, here's a guy who had everything. I mean, he was, Solomon had, he was one of the most wealthiest ever men to live. Might have been maybe the wealthiest to ever live. He was, because of his wisdom that he had asked from God, he got it. In fact, you had the queen of Sheba come and said, oh my God, all the things he had created, the Lord had given him wisdom to do. He had everything. He had all the blessings of favor, overabundance of everything, even fleshly abundance. But the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, one of the last verses, he says, I've done all these things. It's all vanity, vanity, vanity. 
what I could tell you is love God and fear him. Now that's wisdom. <laughs> and he starts, he said, so he, he went about with all of his ability to write down what would give people real wisdom. And he, re, he says why he wrote this. Look at Proverbs 1. Let's begin in verse 1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline and to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them to do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those who have with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. So I would encourage this. You might start a practice. Take a month and read one of these vitamin pills just daily. Take a proverb a day. It'll keep the devil away, right? Hopefully. It depends on what you do with it. I had four questions that rolled around in my head. If you look at your outline, and I sometimes get all whapped and round up in these things, but I'd like to know the answers or at least the insights to some of these things. Number one, can godly character be developed or is it imparted? Can godly character be developed or is it imparted? How many think it can be developed? How many think it can be imparted? How many don't know? <laughs> yeah. How about both? There you go. How many think it's both? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm now, it's interesting, Tozer in that, uh, he went this way. Uh, and I remember I had written this all before I, I got this uh, input from Ron. Uh, Tozer says this, uh, that riches and honor and long life, it can't be, cult it can't cultivate. You can't really know it. It's there and it gets invaded by the presence of God. I don't know if I agree with that, but I'll give you an example of one where, remember in Isaiah chapter 6, it says in the year that Uzziah died, Isaiah was in the temple, right? And it says the, the, all of a sudden the presence of God came in. And what, what, did Isaiah, what happened to Isaiah? He cries out. He says, I'm an undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. He was so, when, when the presence of God comes in, when you become so aware of the presence of God, it'll humble you. You'll realize, oh my God. You get down on, that humility where he says, I'm a man of, it, it reflects all of what I, all of what I think is my goodness, right? Says, oh, it doesn't even come close. So Isaiah gets down and what does is, what is the Lord just says? An angel picks up the coal and touches his unclean lips and he's instantly brought in the presence of, my guilt and my shame are gone. Man, what happens when we come to that place where it's like, in my humility, I realize how big he is. So I believe Tozer's right. There's this thing of impartation. Once the presence of God, once we, a humble people, come into this place of the presence of God, it's like, okay, 
I realize I'm really insignificant now and the world doesn't really revolve around me. It's really him. <laughs> Once we get there, it's like, wow. So I'm gonna give you some scriptures that'll help us in that humility walk. But I believe that godly character, how about this? Remember the scripture, it says, train up a child in the way it should go, he should go, and he or she will not depart from it when they're old. What is that all about? When, you know, I have 10 grandchildren, soon to be 10 grandchildren, right? A couple of weeks now. Laura's so pregnant and they're all homesick. That's, you know, pray for them. And so, but I've got all these grandkids from, uh, well, one's, one's in college, another... So I got a whole litany of grandchildren to watch all their personalities and all the, and I got different children have trained them in different ways. I'm telling you what, when you bring godly influence into a child's life and you hold them accountable to godly principles, there is a change and a difference. Now that doesn't, praise God, um, those who have never had any of that, God can still work with that, amen? Some of us are sitting here with uh, that as our testimony. But I believe godly character is really, can be developed. How about this scripture? Philippians 1.6, he who began the work in me will perform it till the day that Jesus comes. So I, you know, if I start over here, this is your journey, right? This is your Damascus Road experience. Like I'm in a really dark pit. I don't know anything about God. You get saved. He says, praise God, I'm not that guy still, but praise the Lord, I'm not going to be the guy because he's still working on me, right? Godly discipline, how about that scripture? In Hebrews, right? He says, godly discipline is never fun. In Hebrews chapter 12, 10, it says, divine discipline, you know what its purpose is? To bring us to holiness. You know, if you've ever been in a really dark hole um, where all of a sudden you're sitting there realizing, Everything I've been doing has not been working too well. He says, when you go low, then you get to look up and realize that's probably when you're most open to the training and discipline of the Lord. It's an evaluation time. So I believe it can be. How about this one? Number two, is humility a character trait or is it a gift? Is humility a character trait or is it a gift? Some think it's a gift. Can humility be learned? Can you be humbled? How about this one? You think Peter got humbled? I'm going to die for you. These guys may not, but I'll never deny you. Oh, oh really, Peter? Yeah. And then he's, he quits the ministry and goes fishing, and the Lord, after the resurrection, goes finds him and asks the three, three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, you know Lord. So I think uh, we can be um, brought to humility. We can be brought down low. We can choose to go there and see it, or we can be brought there. But one day, every knee's going to bow. You think you're all this in a bag of chips? When Jesus comes in the room, guess what? You're going to hit your knees. And if you don't love him and you haven't accepted him, guess what? It's not going to be, you're going to be humbled, all right? Now, we know that there's gifts like compassion, Is obedience, number three, is obedience the result of love or the fear of a consequence? Is obedience the result of love or the fear of consequences? Can it be both? Which one's purer? 
When I, when I watch my daughters and sons, they, 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 this week Gabriel was sick. They had to take him to the hospital, get a breathing treatment. He was gasping for air, and that was uh, Thursday night. And I, and I walk, the, the, I see them at night, caring for him, listening. That, the purity of love is, what did Jesus say? No greater love than this, that a man should lay down his life for his friends. So, yes, you can have the patrolman sitting on the corner and you'll slow your speed down and be obedient for the fear of the consequence of that traffic ticket. Or we can do things willfully in love. So there's a, obedience has several consequences, but I believe if you love the Lord your God with all your, we covered this in the class this morning. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and you love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said all the commandments of all the prophets hang on these two things. Did you learn to love? That'll probably be a question all of us will be asked when we stand before him. Did you learn to love? But God, you know about me, I'm, I need your love to get me to a place where I can love. Number four, what's more important to God, gifts and ability or character? Give you a scripture on that one. I, I believe that's true. I, there are gifts and there are abilities, but character. How about in Matthew 25? We won't turn there, but remember where he gives five talents, two talents, and one talent? And it says, then the master goes away, and after a long time, he comes back, and he says, now give me an account. He gave them, it's, it's an interesting scripture in Matthew 25, in, uh, it's in, um, you can write that down, you want to look at it, Matthew 25, 15. It says, he gave them talents according to their abilities. So not all of us have the same abilities, right? There's a reason I don't sing on the worship team. Some of you have heard me try to sing once in a while. Um, only by the unction. But there's, so there's, but according to their abilities, he gave one five, one two, and one one. He didn't judge them based on their abilities. He, uh, he judged them based on what did you do with what I gave you. That's a character. Remember the last, the last one with the one talent, the one with the least ability says, what did you do? Well, I knew you were harsh and you would, you would judge me, so I hid it. I hid my talent. So there's something about, that's a character trait. In my character, am I self-centered? Am I operating in fear? Do I do what the Great Commission tells me? What, what, what am I doing with what you've given me to work with, God? It's not, well, I can't do what Mike does. I can't do what Kenny, I can't do what, what Miss Addie does. He never wanted you to. Never. You be you. Be happy in your own flesh, in your own skin. But you can do something. And that's a character that will, what did James say? Show me your work and I'll show you my, your faith. Right? Oh, I believe in Jesus. Good, great. What are you doing? Well, well, nothing. I'm waiting for him to come back. Wow. Okay. Now, I'm not, I don't believe in works righteousness. But once we've come into the righteous revelation there needs to be some evidence, right? That's the point of character, I believe, there. Okay. Let's, um, 
Some of these, it's like principles. Can they be taught or can they be caught? And I think the answer is yes. Why don't you turn with me to Romans. As we look at righteousness, humility, and obedience. If all This is more of a teaching this morning, but I, I want to I ask the Lord for impartation of his truth. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Familiar scripture. In Romans 12, Paul is concluding his teaching to the Roman church, predominantly a Gentile church that he planted in Rome, and there's so much amazing truth in it, but he now, the last couple of chapters, he kind of summarizes everything that's taken place in the first part of the chapters, and this one, in Romans chapter 12, you listen to how much he emphasizes righteousness, humility, and obedience. If the people of God, remember what we started with, if you'd like to find the pathway to riches, honor, and long life, true humility and the fear of the Lord. Well, in that is righteousness. Can you give me another scripture about righteousness? Starts with seek first. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need. That sounds like you'll be honored and you'll be, your riches will follow. Or at least your needs will be met. Okay, Romans 12. Living sacrifice to God. And so, dear brothers and sisters, think of this. Think of the great orator Paul is sitting there and he's just written you a letter and he's trying to impart to you, if you would follow these things, you're going to find a life that is just going to be full. He'll keep you out of the ditch. So, dear brother and sister, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. That's your body. He's talking about the, 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 that place, that carnal part of who we are. Give your physical body to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. You know what that looks like? Think of it when uh, Abraham takes Isaac and he puts him up on, he's about ready to sacrifice his son. That's a living sacrifice. Now the angel stopped him and all that. But think of Man, I want, my, my body wants to go do this stuff and this stuff and this stuff. And the Lord is saying, you know what? Why don't you, through Paul, why don't you present yourself, your body, as a living, alive sacrifice? That means my flesh wants to do this. I refuse to do that because I'm now presenting myself as a holy sacrifice. That's what he's trying to tell us to do here. Why? That's the kind he will find acceptable. This truly is the way to worship him. Wow. It's a true way to worship him. King James says, it's holy and acceptable and it's your reasonable service. It's like the minimum Christianity 101. Reasonable service. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Yipes. But let God transform you into the new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know 
God's will for you, which is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. So the world is telling you to transform and do certain things. It's okay to live together. It's okay to get drunk. It's okay, you know, it's, it, you got, you know, boys will be boys. Oh, well, that's just, you know, they're, they're just sowing their wild oats. That's not in here. Okay? Don't copy the behavior and the custom of the world. Verse 3. Because of the privilege and the authority that God has given me, Paul says, I give you this warning. Don't you think you are better than you really are? Now, that sounds like humility right there. It, it's like, of all the things Paul says, I got authority here, and I want to give you a real warning. You bunch are really puffed up, prideful, arrogant Romans. That's basically probably what he's saying. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Why don't you measure yourselves by the faith that God's given us? Now, that's an interesting measure. We may measure by money, house, car, education, friends, degrees. He says, why don't you measure yourself by how you're operating in the faith that God's given you? That might be how he might measure. Woo. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of the one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak it out with much faithfulness as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach them well. If you're a gift to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's in giving generously, if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in each other with genuine affection. Woo! Man, what would happen if the church took delight in each other? What would he do with that? Never be lazy. Whoa. But work and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Uh-oh, let me read that one again. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Whoa. Road rage. Family members off the ranch. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. There we go again. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Does that sound like humility? Play nice, love each other, 
be humble. You're not all that great. <laughs> Evaluate yourself by faith. It's like, Paul, can you? When he gets done, we're all going to be humbled, right? Number 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. There we go. Here's honor. Do all that you can live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. What does that mean? You know, it's really hard to love Al-Qaeda and ISIL and all them. In fact, we might need to drone strike some of them who are causing evil. But it's what happens when, remember I told you a story when I was traveling with GE, I was flying from Tokyo to Taiwan, and I sat next to a kamikaze pilot who was headed to Taiwan. He had lived through World War II, and I was reading the book of Matthew, and he's sitting in business class next to me, and he turned in perfect English. He was going to uh, Bahrain, I believe it was, to teach English. He turns to me, he goes, you're a Christian, right? I said, I sure am. He goes, you're reading the book of Matthew. I said, I am. He goes, you Christians, you intrigue me. I said, I intrigue you. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I was about to fly. I was 16 years old, and I, we were losing the war, and I was given my assignment to fly my plane into one of your ships. But the war ended. You dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and the war ended, and I didn't get to fly my mission. And I knew that when MacArthur and your troops landed in our nation, and we were now occupied that you were going to take us out, you were going to imprison us, you were going to make us your slaves. But no, you didn't do that. My house was bombed. It was completely gone. I had no food, no place to live. My mother and father and I were destitute on the street. And your soldiers, you came and you poured in, you started rebuilding our nation. You fed us every day. You Christians, you intrigue me. I said, well, what's your faith? He goes, I'm a Shinto. I said, well, you know, there's only one God. <laughs> he wasn't buying it, but what's the point? It says, live in harmony and live in peace with as much. Once we have defeated our enemy, we feed him and care for them, and now they become our allies. The ones that one time wanted to destroy us are now our allies. And look at the faith that's growing in Japan, South Korea, Right? The largest church in the world is in South Korea. Young Cho's church. Was that because of the blood of the men and women who served there, 56,000 Americans who died? The millions and millions and millions of dollars and families on the 17th parallel that we've invested in South Korea? What is that? That's not colonialism. But God has used it for his purpose. Now we're facing another tyrant don't know what's going to happen with this guy in North Korea who now has nuclear weapons, who's threatened to blow us up. And what's God going to do with all that? He's going to work it all together. And we'll take out the enemy, but we'll at the same point, at some point, we'll live at peace as much as we're able with everyone. All right, that was a rabbit trail. Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge and I'll pay them back, says the Lord instead. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If you're thirsty, if he's thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. You Christians intrigue me. <laughs> I pray for his salvation. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. 
Do you see what Paul is telling this church? Righteousness, humility, and obedience are all the precepts of what lead to riches and honor and long life. Well, let's look at another scripture. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, I know, I feel like that too sometimes. She was talking up a storm the other night on Wednesday night. Heidi, you're such a good mama. You really are. I watch what they, her and Joel do with those kids. They're awesome. All right, 2 Peter chapter 1. Now here's Peter. This is his last will and testament. This, he's about ready to be crucified upside down. He had been given that prophecy by Jesus. He has now been imprisoned, and he is about to write to the church his last letter. He's learned some things. <laughs> this letter is from Simon Peter, 2 Peter 1, 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle. Does that sound like humility? It's like, I'm an apostle, that's his, but I'm really a slave. <laughs> I, I go where he tells me to go and I do what he tells me to do. I'm writing to you to share some precious faith that we have. The faith was given to you because of the justice and the fairness of Jesus. King James says, I'm imparting through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That fairness is righteousness. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We could stop right there. Well, I can't, I can't seem to get free. Um, the devil made me do it. Uh, I'm just not, it says, by his divine power, God has given me everything I need for living a godly life, I just have to figure out how to get close there. We have received all of this by coming to know him. We have received all of this by coming to know him. Experiencing him. That, that word, if you look it up, is to know him means to experience him. When I went to Sunday school as a little boy, I, I knew some stories about God. But when my daughter was sick and nearly dying, I experienced him. He says, we've received this by experiencing, knowing him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature, and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. So these are, this is all the promised stuff. God can do it. He can, he's able to do it. He's going to give you, it's going to encourage you. He, he, you're going to know him. You're going to, now, verse 5, he says, okay, now here's what you got to do. In view of all this, the precious promises, his divine power, experiencing him, knowing his marvelous glory, and all of his excellence, do this. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision 
of moral excellence. Make every effort to supplement what you believe with the morality of excellence. And with your moral excellence, with knowledge. Find out more about him. Read the word. Get around people. Do missions. Experience more. Get knowledge. Know his ways. And the knowledge, supplement that with self-control. Be controlling of self. One of the fruits of the Spirit. Wisdom, knowledge, discernment, faith, healing, miracles, tongues. Those are the gifts. The fruit, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, mercy, self-control. Get the fruit of self-control. How do you get that? Through the Holy Spirit. With self-control, patient endurance. Patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everybody. The more you do this, the more you'll produce. And you'll be useful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who fail to develop this way are short-sighted, blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from the old sin. So brothers and sisters, verse 10, work hard to prove that you really belong to those God has called and chosen. Work hard, wow. Do these things and you'll never fail and you'll never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is that good? So you got, you got Paul and you got Peter. All of us telling us about righteousness, humility, obedience, choice. He's done it all. It's available to you. What are you going to do with it? Now, I won't turn here because I want to finish with communion. But I will ask you to look at the outline. Down there on life lessons from Scripture, it'd be really good. I spent several hours this week looking at King Josiah and his journey of faith in 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. In fact, um, it's really a, an amazing testimony of, and, and I think it gives us real insight to where we are right now with our president. We have a president this week who, I mean, he, he basically put an a, a, a executive order in place that counters the Johnson Act, Right? which would allow me to stand up and tell you you ought to vote for this candidate, right? And I, I can't go to jail, at least under this president. <laughs> um, whereas the Johnson Act says pastors are not allowed to give their political opinions. So we got a president who's, look, look at what he's done since he got in office, right? He's taken away the funding that's gone to, what was it, the Mexico City Act for abortions. We were paying for abortions in other nations, and if they don't comply with what we say, then we won't give you the money for the abortions. Well, he did, he did away with that. The Supreme Court justice, the, it just goes on and on, right? So we have, many have said, well, this is a Cyrus. I believe we have a Josiah. In fact, Cyrus was a pagan king, right? He was a pagan king who was prophesied by Isaiah 150 years before Cyrus was ever born that he was going to come and he was going to empower and then give money to the return from those exiles that went back to Babylon. But he, it's not clear that, that Cyrus ever became a believer. But now Josiah. Ooh. When you look and study it in, in uh, you can look in Chronicles. You can see it right there, Second Chronicles 34. 
Well, let's turn there. I'll, I'll wet your whistle with it, and then I'll just highlight a couple of points. You can also find a similar account in uh, 2 Kings chapter 23. But let's look at uh, Chronicles. We'll look at that version of it first. Now, just, just follow me for a minute. You have this place where David turns over the kingdom to Solomon. Solomon messes it up at the end. Solomon, after his demise, you end up with Judah and Israel. The ten northern tribes revolt through a series. There's all wickedness in all the kings of Israel. And they become no more. They are, they are captured and carried off. Judah has 20 kings that go on. And there are various kings of Judah um, that are good and there are ones that were not so good. And eventually, the not so good causes God to release judgment. Well, here we are in chapter 33 of Second Chronicles. Manasseh rules, and he rules. He took over from Hezekiah, who was a godly king. But Manasseh rules for 55 years, and he is extremely wicked. Brings in witchcraft and Baal worship. He sacrifices his children to Molech, passes through the fire. That's that same spirit of, of abortion, that, you know, sacrificing children for convenience or to, for idolatry of self. And so he is a wicked, wicked king. In fact, God brings judgment against Manassas. He gets captured and conquered. They put a, a hook in his nose and drag him off, and he's in jail with a hook in his nose. And what does he do? He cries out to God. It's, it's wild. God, I can't believe you'd forgive that character. But he does. Isn't that good news? He's a God of second chances and more than second chances and grace. Well, look at in 2 Chronicles 33. It says, Manasseh, look at verse 1. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old. He becomes king. He reigns Jerusalem for 55 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight following detestable practices of pagan nations. Verse 4, he builds pagan temples. Brings in all sorts of sorcery. Verse 6, he sacrifices his sons to the fire. He practices sources, sorcery, divination, witchcraft, consults mediums and psychics. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, arousing God's anger. He leads the people, verse 9, into even more and more evil practices of the pagan nations. He gets a warning from God in verse 10. The people are warned, and he, but he ignores the warnings. The people ignore the The Assyrian armies come in verse uh, 11. They put a ring in his nose, carry him off to Babylon. While in distress, verse 12, Manasseh sought the Lord, and God sincerely humbles himself. Get a picture of that. And they prays to the Lord, and the Lord listens to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Whoa, restored. Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. He rebuilds the outer wall. Manasseh, in verse 15, removes all the foreign gods, and he starts a process of restoration. He restores the altar of the Lord in, chapter, in verse 16. But because of the wickedness he had sown, the people's hearts never come back. His son Amon rules, verse 21. He only rules for two years. He's assassinated. He does what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And then the people, it says in verse 1, select Josiah, eight-year-old king. And it says, he did what his father David did. There's no mention of Manasseh. 
Same with Hezekiah. There's no mention of the wicked. The lineage, the, the, the bloodline matters not as much to God as the spiritual line. <laughs> now, there's a bloodline. He was David's descendants, but he says he doesn't call back the sins. But here's what God remembers. He remembers generations of godliness and godlessness. And because of the wickedness of Manassas and their unchanged hearts, but he, the people want a king in Josiah. Just if you read chapter 34 and 35, you will get blessed. Here's, a, here's, right, the church has been closed down. The temple's in ruins. They have, for, they have lost the book of Moses. They don't even know there is a book of Moses. Think about that. You got a priesthood after 55 years of Manassas and then Amon. They don't even know there's a book of Moses. The temple's in ruins. The door's been nailed shut. What does he do? He says, we're going to return to the Lord. At age 16, he starts defiling. In fact, I love this. All through his life of, of, was it 40, 31 years, 31 years Josiah rules, yeah. From 8 years old to 31 years, he dies in battle at 39. But here's what Josiah does. He starts in breaking down defilement. We're going to follow after the Lord. I don't know what that means. We're going to, I know witchcraft's not it. So he starts tearing down things. He makes public toilets out of the pagan temples. I love that. You may, just get a picture of that for a minute, right? That's a defilement. Anyway. He does that kind of, well, then he says, well, we need to restore the temple. So he finds the priest, Helkiah, says, we've collected money, restore the temple. In the cleaning up of the back rooms of the temple, they find this book of the law. And he brings it. Imagine that. We found a Bible. We, the priest, the high priest. We, we, we don't know what this is, but we found it. And it looks like it might be from God. And he starts reading it to King Josiah. And Josiah is so moved by the presence of God, he tears his clothing, says, oh my God, in repentance, we have fallen away from you. And he says this, Helkiah, high priest, seek the Lord for me. Seek the Lord for me. For some reason, they go to a prophetess named Huldah. And she gives a prophetic word. She says, judgment is coming. The wickedness of these people, they don't turn their hearts. Judgment is coming. But this man who sent you to me, because he truly humbled himself and tore his clothing and sought for me, he will not see this judgment. I will delay this judgment. He'll never see it, but it will come. What does that tell you? We, have a, we, have, we can have men and women in office that can turn things, but unless the people of God have their hearts turned, and we don't conform to this world, but we truly seek obedience and humility and righteousness, seeking after God, we will not see this thing long term. Our children and our grandchildren, may, he, he can delay this. The Lord, is, he operates outside of time. Read, read just, just read 2 Chronicles this week. I can give you a homework assignment, right? Read 2 Chronicles 33, 34, and 30, and look at the principles and see where we are right now. And then pray, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from my wicked ways, and then I'll hear from heaven and I'll bring healing to this land. You want $19.5 trillion in debt to be eradicated? You want to see prayer brought back in the schools? You want to see the 
families healed? Do you want to see marriages healed? You want, do we want that? Then we do our part. We do our part and we seek after him. We turn away from all the stuff that leads us down every pathway. And we all got our challenges of the stuff in our nature that has got to be eradicated. I think this is a good place to stop for communion. If I could get uh, a couple of the men, if you'd bring the communion table over. Thanks, James. Thanks, Terry. <clears throat> this would be a good place. You know that um, in my Jennifer LeClaire devotional this week, she said, you know, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. In Romans chapter 8, he says, there is no condemning, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ or you want to make it a public declaration, he said this, he said, if you'll acknowledge me before men, then I will acknowledge you before my Father. If you'll deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. So if you're here this morning and Every one of us has had battles of unrighteous thoughts and actions, prideful arrogance, thinking we know everything, we're better than them. And I caught myself, I'll be transparent. Last night, one of my neighbors, I won't say where, but they were obviously having a, a party that was, it was pretty wild and I could see some of the stuff going on there. That, wow. And I woke up this morning, another neighbor that I've actually spoken to about godly things, it appears that they've been having some sleepovers with other people. And, and I found myself praying for the neighborhood, but there was, a, there was a condemning side of my thoughts that was not righteous. Like, it's that place where the sinner comes and says, you know, forgive me, Father, I've, I've sinned and Whereas the Pharisee says, I'm so glad I'm not like them. There was a Pharisaical side of that that the Holy Spirit caught me back. I'm getting ready to preach this thing about don't think yourself so highly. And I repented on the way here. I said, Lord, I don't ever want to be, I know where I have come from and how much grace you put on me. And so, Lord, I pray right now that there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. He loves us to the point where he gives us, even guys like Manassas, how the heck could you give him another chance? How detestably wicked. But true humility and repentance crying out to God brings restoration even to his throne. God, you're a God of such grace and mercy. So this is not about condemnation. This is about conviction. We want to we want to be a people that are hard after you, God. We're seeking hard after you. We want to do all we can in this walk. So if you're here this morning and before you come to communion, please come and pray with me if you want to rededicate your life or give your life to Christ. Now, all those that are in that place, you, you know where you are with the Lord. And Let's just close our eyes and ask the Lord to, Holy Spirit, you said if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask you. What are the areas of unforgiveness 
immoral thought, unrighteous actions, where I've judged and gossiped and tore down. I've not been forgiving to those who have been despitefully wicked and used me. I want to forgive them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, if you will judge yourself, then he doesn't have to judge us. He loves mercy over judgment. Judgment is his second choice. Mercy is his first. So search our hearts this morning. How would the royal son of God choose to come down and take the form of a humble creation, the God-man, Jesus Christ, the word incarnate in flesh, fashioned a body that became the living sacrifice. You want to talk about presenting yourselves as a living sacrifice. Jesus did that. He became the holy sacrifice that we might live. And all those who believe in him, declare him. The Romans roads, Romans 10 says, all those who will confess the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. On his final night, before the crucifixion, he met with his close friends. He called them friends. I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. And he said, there's no greater love than this, that a man would give up his life for his friends. He then declares to us through the scriptures that we are now the friends of God, all those who believe and trust in him. We become friends of God. And the purity of that love causes us to desire to walk righteously with him. Love is such a greater power than fear. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, come and eat this, take it. My body's going to be given for you. He took a cup he said, this is the cup of my blood in the new covenant, sealed. And I want you to do this as often and remember what I did. There is no greater sacrifice and there is no other way for the remission of our sin than to believe in Christ, the incarnate Son of God. Resurrected led the captives free, and soon to return. Lord, I pray that we would be found with faith. He said, when I return, will I find faith in the earth?
So, Lord, we come tonight as a body of believers that this sheepfold, Lord, I pray what you're doing today, we would see and hear miraculous outpourings of your presence. The tent, Greenville, the outreaches, the jailhouses, the halfway houses, the food pantries, the boots on the ground. Would you touch this city and this region?